right, church family, would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for that opportunity just to sing about who you are. Lord, we are grateful to come together. We need the encouragement of these songs, and now we need the encouragement of your word. So I pray that as we open your word, that you would help us to humbly submit to that word, that you would help us to know that you are God and we are not. Would you teach us? Would you mold us? Would you shape us to be the men and women that you've called us to be in Christ? We thank you for what you will do in advance. Lord, I pray that no person that has come to this place, Lord, we know they're not here by accident. So we pray that no one would leave unchanged this morning by the work of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. And you may be seated. As you find your seat, I need you to go to two places this morning. Normally we're at one. Today I need you to find two different places. The first, very easy, very beginning of the book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. So turn there. We're going to start there. And then in a moment, if you could, go ahead and get ready. We're going to be going also to Proverbs chapter 31. So the book of Proverbs is kind of right in the middle of the Bible. Uh, use your concordance in the front of the Bible if you need to. If you didn't bring a Bible, feel free to use the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we always say this, but make sure and take that one. Make it your own. Take it home with you today. Today we are continuing our series called By His Design in which we have been looking at God's design for both men and women and how we interact with one another. The first week of our study, we tried to talk about how men and women were created the same. Both men and women are are made unlike anything else in all of creation. Because each one of us in this room, we have an immortal soul. We've been made in the image of God. That's what Genesis 1 tells us, that we were made in his image, which means that we were made to have relationship with him. We were made to reflect him and to to represent him in our lives. This is how we're the same. We are equal in value and dignity and worth and significance. Men and women are the same in these ways. But then last week, we began to look at differences. Because while we were created uh, the same in some ways, we were also created distinct. And that's not just me saying that, okay? If you're just listening to me, that wouldn't be worth anything. But that's what God says. Genesis chapter 1, he says, male and female, he created them. And so I said this, that that the differences in gender are not imaginary. Uh, They're not an accident. They are part of God's beautiful design. He's made it this way on purpose. And he looks at his creation, both male, female, and he says, this is very good. You were designed to be very good with all of your differences. So then we, from there, we moved to the high calling of men. And that's what we talked about last Sunday. For you men who were not here last week with us, I just encourage you, if you have some time this week, that sermon should be on our website. Um, Go and listen to it because it's a lofty calling that God has put on men. More than anything else, godly men are called to lead the way in sacrificial service. Men are called to lead the way in laying down our lives, laying down our our dreams, our desires, our our preferences, all of these things. We're to lay them down for the good of our wives, for those of you with wives, for the good of your children, for those of you with children, for the good of the church, and for the good of our community that surrounds us. It's a very high calling. 
Self-sacrificing love is the mark of biblical masculinity, and it shows itself in the way that we work, in the way that we protect, in the way that we spiritually encourage and pour into all those around us. By the grace of God, men, we have to fight against selfish passivity and selfish aggression as we live out this calling. That was what we talked about last week. So today, we move our focus to the ladies in the room. What is God's desire for those of you in this room that are women? How are women designed? So here we go. A man teaching on the purpose of women on Mother's Day. What could go wrong, right? That was funny. This last week, I got a few calls of people, and they're like, man, I'm just really praying for you this week, as if I'm about to go into a war zone. I'm telling you, I do appreciate the prayers. Um, But today, I'm going to do what we do every single Sunday as we come together, and that is simply to look at what God's Word has to say. You do not want my opinion, nor should you want anybody else's opinion in our ever-changing culture. God is the designer of all life. Therefore, he is the authority of how we work, how we are designed. And so we are going to look at what he has to say today. So let's start off in Genesis 2. We ended last week, God created Adam. He placed him into the Garden of Eden, and he said, I want you to joyfully submit to me. I want you to know me and walk with me, and I want you to take what I've given you, this garden, and work it and cultivate it. So the picture in Genesis 2 is Adam goes to work, but then something very interesting happens. God looks at Adam as he's beginning this work, and we read these words. Look at me in verse 18. Everything else up to this point had been good in creation. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now hold on to that verse. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. It's the word of God this morning. Now, as we consider this passage, it's vitally important that we understand verse 18. Because verse 18 is a comment on design. God looks at Adam there working in the garden by himself, and he says, At Adam, this is not good, which I find to be both comical and absolutely true, right? He looks at Adam by himself, he said, This is not good, but I've got a solution. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. What does it mean for Eve to be a helper fit for him? The first thing that we must do is try to understand this word in Hebrew that is translated helper. Because like many words, this can be a confusing word. Different cultures look at this kind of word with with different understandings. So it's vitally important we understand the context of this word within the scriptures. There's usually this question about the word helper because in our culture, we have a negative view of help. 
We see that as a subordinate role. And so the question becomes this. Do women as helpers have a subordinate role to man? Are they in some way designed in that way? Well, hopefully by now, everything that we have said in this sermon series, you know the answer is 100% no. Women are in no way subordinate to men. Men and women are created in his image. Equal value, equal dignity. So what does this word helper mean? Well, when you look at the context, it's actually an extremely strong word. The Hebrew word that's translated helper is most often not referred to some subordinate position, but instead in the Bible, what this is talking about is military reinforcements. So if you look at the scriptures, what you'll find is, imagine this with me. You're, you're in an army and you are surrounded by the enemy. You're outnumbered five to one. You're losing hope and all of a sudden you see reinforcements start streaming in. That is the picture of this passage. In fact, if you want to know who is called the helper more than anybody in the Old Testament, any guesses? It's God himself. God has the title of helper. Over and over again, he looks at the Israelites and he says, You are about to be wiped out, O Israelite army, but I came in and I was your helper. I destroyed your enemy. I took on this. I am your ever-present help. So in no way can this word be used to say that women are in some way inferior or subordinate to men. To be a helper means that we actually have strengths that the other does not have. I mean, think about it. If I go into uh, Amy Estelle's office this week and I say, Amy, I really need your help with this. Who is showing weakness in that moment? Is it the helper or is it the person in need of help? It's me, right? I'm saying, Amy, you have a strength that I don't have. And without that strength, we will not be able to accomplish this task as a staff team. Well, that's the picture that you have here in the scriptures. There's a strength to women. Help is a military word. It's a strong word. It is a divine word. And God has the audacity to use it for Eve. Let's let him then consider the second part of that phrase. He, she is a helper, a strong word, fit for him. Now, this is actually trying to translate two Hebrew words. What it literally says is this, I will make a helper like opposite him. Seems odd, doesn't it? Like opposite. Those two things don't go together, right? If, if they're completely like one another, if they're identical, then it doesn't work out. I want you to picture two puzzle pieces. If there are two puzzle pieces and they're completely identical, do they ever go together? No. What you need are two like opposites. They're, they're both puzzle pieces, but they're opposites. They're complementary to one another. When you put, to, put them together, they both become what they are meant to be. Both pieces are of equal worth. You can't complete the puzzle without either one. And that's what this is saying in this text. Man and women were created unique by God, both in his equal in dignity, but they are meant to complement one another. They're meant to come together instead of competing against one another. That's the picture of Genesis chapter 2. The weaknesses of one are strengthened by the strengths of the other. The strengths of one are even further strengthened by the strengths of the other. God is providing Adam and Eve with a like opposite that has enormous power, But it's a power that is different. And that's a good thing in God's eyes. 
I talked about this last fall when we were talking about um, uh, the role of husband and wife. And I said, it's not a picture of Batman and Robin where one is clearly superior, one is inferior. This is a picture in scripture of Batman and Superwoman, right? Both with equal strengths. They both have to bring their strengths to play if they are going to accomplish a task. Well, friends, do you realize that as followers of Jesus, we have been given an extraordinary task. All of us in this room have been told, go and make disciples of all the world, baptizing them, teaching them. I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? We've been given an enormous task. Do you realize without the strengths of both men and women coming together in a complementary way, we cannot do that. The sin is either one of us saying, I can do this on my own. I don't need the other. You see this play out in marriages. It's a good thing when a husband and wife seek to use their strengths to to grow one another, to encourage one another, to flourish the whole. But it's a very deadly thing when they use their strengths to compete against one another. We see this same thing in the workplace. We see it all over the place. We see this in the church. When we see our differences and we think, I have to compete against, I have to be better than, either, either gender, we're not doing it as what God has called. A helper fit for him, a complementary pair that is able to accomplish more together than they ever could have on their own. That's the picture we have. So what does the character of this kind of woman look like? A helper fit for him. What, is, what does this person look like? Well, we could go to a number of places in the scripture of great examples. You have Deborah in the Old Testament, Esther, Ruth. You have Mary in the New Testament, Mary Magdalene. You have Priscilla, all these incredible women. But I think one of the places that encompasses the character of this kind of woman, uh, most overarching way would be in Proverbs chapter 31. And so if you would, uh, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen, so turn there with me. Proverbs 31. We're going to look at the character of a godly woman living out her design. As you turn there, I've always found this to be a very interesting passage because as much as this proverb talks about women, the primary audience is actually not women at all, nor is it married men. Here on Mother's Day, what you have in Proverbs 31 is a mom sitting down with her son and speaking words of wisdom. She's talking to her single son. She's concerned about the way that he is approaching women. And all of a sudden comes out Proverbs 31. You see that in verse 1. It says, The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. And then what does the mom go on to say? I I thought this was really funny. She says, What are you doing, my son? (laughs) What are you doing, son of my womb? Any of you parents, any of you moms ever said that to your kids? What do you think you're doing? And then she begins to address this problem. And she says, in essence, what the rest of the book of Proverbs has also said, be careful to avoid the wrong kind of woman. You look back in Proverbs and over and over again, you see warnings against the adulterous woman. See warnings against the unfaithful woman, the woman who neglects her family, the woman who bankrupts her family, the contentious woman, the quarreling woman. You see all these pictures. It even says this, Proverbs eleven twenty two against the physically beautiful woman who isn't wise. It says this, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. How's that for a Mother's Day card? Well, at the end of all these warnings, you get to the end of the book of Proverbs and she says this, you want to know what a godly woman looks like? You want to know the character of a godly woman? Well, here she is. And we see this incredible picture unfold. 
instead of just reading the passage, I have a video, and I want you to see a video of this passage um, that summarizes what we're going to be talking about for the next few moments. A woman of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She extends her hands to the needy. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done. Now, I thought that was a beautiful video, a powerful video. But as we move into Proverbs 31, I think there is something that we need to acknowledge at the front end of reading this passage and the front end of studying, and that is this. This is a picture of a woman who is not real. For all of you women in the room, you need to understand that. This is a mom painting a picture of a godly woman, but, but this woman is not real. In this passage, you see nothing about imperfections, right? We read about how godly she is, how wise she is, what an amazing wife and mother and woman she is. She's perfectly strong, perfectly humble. She's confident. She's a servant. She's a leader. She's an entrepreneur making good business deals. And on top of all that, she takes care of the needy. Friends, this is truly superwoman, right? That's the kind of picture we have in this text. But I want to mention that as we start out because I think women can easily read this passage and instead of going away encouraged, instead of being challenged, you can walk away easily saying, well, I will never meet that standard. I'm not perfect like that. I have lots of imperfections. I'm not strong. Or, or you may see a picture of this and say, does this mean that I have to be married or that I have to be a mom to be, to be this kind of woman? The answer is to no to all of those things. To read that passage in that, this passage in that way is a very dangerous thing. I realize that for many of you who are women, you, there are many who struggle. I talk to many of you that struggle with two things, comparison and perfection. You long for those things. You, you go after those things. I think that's what social media has picked up on, and it has grown this comparison idea. How many likes did I get compared to that person? How does my beauty compare to this person? This is a struggle, and I think you need to hear this from the very beginning. This passage is not meant to leave you discouraged. This passage is meant to point you to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one, just like we talked about last week in Ephesians chapter 5, of this picture-perfect husband who laid down his life for his wife and was perfectly sacrificial. This whole picture has been marred by sin. From the moment that Adam and Eve in the garden took of that fruit until today, each one of us, our callings are marred by sin. They're tarnished. Men cannot be the men God has called them to be on their own. 
And in the same way, ladies, you need to hear me this morning. You cannot be the picture that we just talked about in Proverbs chapter 31 on your own. You see, with a weak, sinful heart that is out for your own selfish interest, you can't become, nor can you be, this kind of woman. But praise God this morning that as we look at this passage, there is power in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, ladies. You know that perfection that you long for, that you see in this text? Do you know that if you have submitted your life to Jesus, if you have trusted in what he accomplished for you in the cross, that record of perfection, that standing of perfection is already yours. When God sees you, he does not see anyone flawed. When God sees you, he sees a perfect daughter of the king. Why? Because he sees Jesus in you. That record has already been met. Jesus was perfect on our behalf. He took, the sin, he took the punishment for sin that we deserved. And by doing that, he gives us a standing of perfection. You are this woman in God's eyes. But here in the day-to-day, it's a struggle, isn't it? We're surrounded by sin. We're surrounded by our own selfish interest. And so what are we to do? We are to rely on Christ. That same Jesus who has given you a perfect record has put his Holy Spirit in you in order to grow you and to shape you into this kind of woman. You cannot do it on your own, but as you rely on him, you will take steps closer and closer and closer. It's a long journey, but you will take steps closer to what we see in this passage. So then, what are the characteristics of this godly woman that are presented in Proverbs chapter 31? Now, I am going to do something very, very cheesy. In fact, my wife... When I told her about this, she rolled her eyes, which means this is going to be good, right? <laughs> but I'm going to give you an acrostic this morning of woman, W-O-M-A-N. You may say that is extremely cheesy. Well, yes, but let me explain to you why I'm doing that this morning. When you look at Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10, moving all the way down, what you find is this is a poem. And this is a poem that is a what? It is an acrostic. Starting with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet all the way to the bottom letter, it's outlining the characteristics of this woman. It's an acrostic. It's in the same way if I were to look at you or maybe you to write a note to your mom and you were to start with A and end with Z and all the attributes of your mom, A to Z, that's what this would be like. Why would he do this? In order to help you memorize it. That's the reason that they would do that. So this morning, I'm going to give you an acrostic of woman, and it starts with what I think is the most important one, W. What is this word? A godly woman is wise. Wisdom exudes the godly woman. I think it's a fitting starting place because wisdom is the theme for the entire book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, at the very beginning, sets the tone for this when it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 3.13 then goes on to say, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. So you had this statement all the way at the beginning of Proverbs. Wisdom, she is more precious than jewels. And then is it not interesting that here at the very end of the book in Proverbs, it ends by describing the woman in this way. Verse 10, she is far more precious than jewels. Why? Verse 30, because she fears the Lord. Which is the beginning of what? Wisdom. You see, the wise woman more than anything in her life fears God. 
She reveres him. She treasures him. She desires to know his word. She desires to to hear his word and to obey his word, to apply it to her life. Ladies, you need to hear this. The most important thing you can do to live out your calling is not a role. The most important thing that you can do to live out your calling is to follow Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. For you to treasure Jesus. For you not to wait for anybody else to complete you, but for you to find your satisfaction in Jesus alone. This is not talking about a wisdom that comes from head knowledge of God. This is a knowledge of God that is intimate, that is life-changing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I cannot encourage you enough, women of First SF, grow in your knowledge of the Lord. Grow in your knowledge of his word. Grow in the knowledge of prayer. Do not be satisfied. This thing drives me crazy. Do not be satisfied with many of the weak devotionals that they put out there for women. You are called to grow theologically. You are to go to the deep end of the pool to know Jesus wholeheartedly. And in doing so, you begin to exercise the giftings that he's given you. Exercise the ministries that he's given you to live out your greatest purpose, which is to know him and to make him known. Fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. And this is what it starts with. This woman is wise because she fears the Lord as the sole purpose of her life. You are not in a secondary position with God. Lead the way in wisdom, ladies of first SF. But number two, we see this. We go to O, and what is it? She is an overcomer. Notice what it says about this, how this woman's wisdom affects her view of of trying circumstances and even an uncertain future. Twice in this passage, it says, in essence, this, because she fears God, she's not afraid of anything. No matter what comes her way, she is an overcomer because she has an overcoming God. Look at verse 21. It says, she is not afraid of snow for her household. What that's talking about is when trials hit her home, she doesn't flinch. She's not like the waves of the water that's one day over here, one day over here. No, this woman is secure because of her relationship with God. Look at verse 25. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. It's one of my favorite lines in this whole book. She laughs at the time to come. Uh, the picture here is like Satan dangling in front of her a warning about, well, about what could happen or what might come up, right? Trials, circumstances, anxiety about the future. He's dangling that, and yet this woman in Proverbs 31 does what? She's not looking at the trial. She's not looking about what may come. No, she's looking at her almighty God. And because she is looking at her almighty God, she laughs in the face of what's to come. I love the picture of that. Such strength and power in that. No matter what trials come their way, she's an overcomer because she trusts in God. In the same way that comparison and perfection are struggles that many women face, I know that other women in this room, many of you face this desire for control and security. Can I just tell you that you will never have control, nor will you have security, apart from relying wholly heartedly in Jesus. When your sense of security comes from your relationship with him, when you've let go of control and said, God, I know that I can't control this, but I trust that you love me as your daughter, it's an incredibly beautiful thing. If you've ever been in the presence of a woman who lives this way, it is powerful. I think this last week of my interactions with Carmen Uragi, one of our church members facing a very uncertain future, and yet she is a woman who is an overcomer. She laughs at the what could be. 
I see it also in one of our single missionary partners, a single woman overseas who literally, despite a lingering disease that should have taken her life by now, despite um, extraordinary obstacles overseas, has spent the last decade of her life rescuing other women from sex trafficking, starting a business so that they could have a job and housing, literally starting churches all over the place. She laughs at the day to come. Why? Because God is her security. Godly women are overcoming women. They're overcomers. Let's move to M then. We got W, Ys, O, overcomers, M. They are mighty. I use that word because twice in this passage, the woman described as dressed or clothed in strength. When you see these poems in the Old Testament, these acrostic like you see here, almost entirely they're reserved for military heroes. That's usually what you find when you come across these kind of poems. But here, what it does is it exalts this this woman who has strength and valor in what she does. Look at verse 13. Look at the way she works. It says, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. In other words, she doesn't just wait for opportunities to come to her. She seeks out opportunities and she does so with willing hands. She doesn't resent hard work. Instead, she jumps into it. She's willing to be disciplined and innovative. Look at verse 14. It says she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Now, all these pictures paint a portrait of a woman who has cast aside the idol of laziness. This is not a woman who spends 18 hours a day on social media, right? She's put those things aside. And what I also love about this is that all of her activity, which may seem frenzied. I mean, you look at this, it's like she's nonstop. But none of her activity is done outside of this idea that she is a wise woman who fears the Lord. Her wisdom, her fear of the Lord drives the activity because what you'll notice is that her activity is not self-focused. And that's an amazing picture. She uses all of her time and her resources and her talents that God has given her wisely for the purpose of his kingdom and what he has done. You see this in the way that she ministers to other people. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Again, she doesn't wait for the poor to come to her, but she says, God, how can I meet needs? How can I minister to the people around me? This this passage is dripping with self-sacrificing love, whether it be for her husband, for her kids, for her coworkers, or even for those outside the gates, the poor. She's constantly looking for ways to minister to others, using the gifts that God had given her. I will tell you this, that our church and every church would be absolutely anemic apart from the many of the women that serve in the way that is described in this passage. And for that, we are thankful to God. The godly woman is mighty. Number four may be surprising. A, what does that stand for? Attractive. Now, let me put a caveat here. For all the right reasons, okay? Now, I say that because of this. I want you to notice something. That this woman, for this woman, her beauty is never going to fade. Why? Because her beauty is not tied to her outward appearance. When you look at this passage, there's hardly any mention of her physical beauty. The one thing that our culture exalts above everything else. 
And I think that's important, friends. It is not the outward appearance that matters most. If, I know some of you struggle in this area, and I get it. The culture tells you that you have to find your satisfaction, your fulfillment, and your worth in how you look. But Scripture says something starkly different. It says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. If, those, if there's men in here who are single, you need to know this. Long term, godliness is most beautiful. Why? Because godliness only grows. Godliness all, almost grows. Physical appearance, I just hate to tell you, gravity is going to have its toll on all of us, okay? And those who try to fix it with a lot of surgeries, it just looks worse, right? Let's just be honest. But he says here that godliness is what's most beautiful. What is attractive about this woman is not her looks, but it's her speech. It's her works. I love verse 26. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Her speech is characterized by kindness. She's not tearing people down. She's not lying. She's not gossiping to make herself look better. Her words, what comes out of her mouth, are kind and they are wise. In the same way, all of her works, you look at her works, they're admirable. People look at it and they say, I want to be around that woman. Why? Because she's reflecting who God created her to be. She walks in the fear of the Lord. Ladies, I know culture tells you to find your worth in many different things. But here God says, find your beauty in me. Over and above looks and education, personality, accomplishments, jobs, careers, any other characteristic. A woman who fears the Lord, he says, is more attractive than the finest of jewels. She's attractive for all the right reasons. Last one in, she's a nurturer. I had a hard time coming up with the right word for this one. But I think this is a, a fitting word because here's what nurture means. It means to encourage the growth of development in someone else. You look at Proverbs 31, and this is a woman who's truly trying to seek to nurture the growth, the development of all the people in her lives. Because in this picture, this woman is married. It starts with her husband. He trusts her with all of his heart. Verse 11 is amazing to me. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does good, or she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. For those of you who do have husbands this morning, let me just say something to you. The most powerful tool that you have in your bag that can either create an incredible marriage or can quickly tear down your marriage, can either encourage your husband's heart or absolutely devastate your husband's heart, are your words. Are your words. And I think that's the speech of this woman. I think that's why it's so important in this passage. Men have been given, uh, many of us, physical strength, and we can either use that to protect or to abuse, right? When the same way women are, many women are strong with words, and you can use that to protect your marriage or to abuse your marriage, to uplift your spouse or to tear them down. I wonder, could it be said about you, women of First SF, that you seek to do good to your husband, that with your words and your actions, you seek to do good to them all the days of your life? I know all of us in this room fell in that. It's a picture of nurturing her husband, seeking that he would be a benefit. I can tell you this. I could not live out the calling that God has in my life apart from Rachel using her strengths for my good. In the same way that she couldn't live out her calling without me laying down my life for her. 
just the way that God has created it to be in marriage. But that extends to the way that she treats her kids. Look at verse 27. It says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. You see, throughout Scripture, we see a continual theme of how God has uniquely gifted women for the nurture of children in a way that complements, not competes against, men's role with children. Such care is evident throughout this entire passage. This is a woman who loves her children. She stays up all night providing clothes for them, food for them. She lays down her life for them. From sunup to sundown, she takes these seemingly mundane tasks and accomplishes them when no one else is looking or when no one else is there to give her praise. I would imagine some of you, especially those of you with young kids, you feel like, what am I doing? (laughs) I spend my countless hours trying to clean and trying to take care of this and take care of that, and then they become teenagers, and you still think, I don't know what I'm doing, and all of this is like a continual wrestling. Well, don't miss verse 27 or 28. What does it say? Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What an incredible word of encouragement this morning. You want a legacy that matters? Man, verse 28, that's it. The way that you nurture your kids, women of First SF, both physically and spiritually, is an important gift from God, and it's an important responsibility. Now, you may look at that and say, well, Ryan, I've always wondered then, does that mean that, that all women have to, to work in the home full time instead of working out in the marketplace? No, absolutely not. That's not what this text is saying. And Greg, that's a dichotomy that did not exist in the Bible. It wasn't that some women worked at home or some men worked at home. No, everybody worked from home. Everybody was trying to provide for their family. This is something that didn't exist in the Bible, right? So that's to read that into that is not right. But what it is saying is this, women, you have an important role to play in the nurture of your children, and you have to take that seriously. It doesn't matter if you're able to do that 100% full-time in the home or if you have a job and then you have to do that at other times. This has to be a commitment for each one of us as we seek to do what God has called us to do, to live out this design. One woman expressed this sentiment because I think sometimes we see women working at home in our culture as second class. Maybe even a waste of someone's life. But listen to these words. She said this in an article I read this week. Few women realize what great service they are doing for mankind and for the kingdom of Christ when they provide a shelter for the family and good mothering. The foundation on which all else is built. A mother builds something far more magnificent than any cathedral. The dwelling place for an immortal soul. No professional pursuit so uniquely combines the most menial task with the most meaningful opportunities. It's an important task. Whether you work at home or you work in the business world, it doesn't matter. Have, are you living out this role of nurturer in your family? Now, if you're in the room, maybe you're, you're widowed or maybe you're single. You don't have any kids. What does this look like for you? Well, I'm just telling you right now that you are not off the hook. Because God has given you strengths. He's given you this this nurturing capability that if you're not doing it physically with with kids, you're at least doing it spiritually. How many of you in this room, I just want you to raise your hand if the the most important spiritual influence on your life was a woman growing up. How many of you? A good number of you, right? I would raise my hand. My grandmother was, was the greatest spiritual influence on my life. All of you in this room, single or married, have a role of nurturing faith in the lives of the people that God brings into your path. 
bringing them along that road. So here's the picture that we have. Wise, overcoming, mighty, attractive, nurturing. This is, this is the design. This is a picture. But as we close, I want to finish with the same verse that I gave the men at the end of our passage last week. For every single one of you, as you think about this high calling that God has given you, God says this to you, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Women, you need to hear me. You cannot live this calling out on your own. The one thing that I would add to, to my, my uh, acronym that we did earlier, my acrostic, is this. A godly woman is a repenting woman. In the same way that a godly man is a repenting man, because we cannot fulfill these standards on our own, you will fail. The question is, what do you do with that failure? Do you try to do it on your own? Do you try to pick yourself up on your own? Or do you run to the cross of Jesus Christ, relying on the perfection that he has to offer, relying on the power and strength that he can give you to live this out? I think one of the most important things you can do, ladies, going from this sermon is to simply admit, I'm not there. I'm not there, but Jesus, I want to be. I want to become more and more like that woman. Will you help me to become where I am weak? Will you show your power in my weakness? Will you be strong? That's the most important thing we can do. Men, husbands, dads, again, just like I told the women last week, you are not the Holy Spirit, okay? Your role is not to talk about the failures of your wife, to point out the faults of your wives. Your role is to simply pray for your wives, to encourage them toward this end, that God would create them and flourish them in this incredible design that he has given. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I think it is important for us to acknowledge our weakness. And so this morning, I know this sermon has been directed primarily to the women in our congregation. I would just ask this. I want to just pray a prayer over you. But if you would just say, Ryan... The Lord has shown me things that, that I need to grow in. The Lord has shown me areas where I'm weak and I need him. I think it's important that you, there's a symbol of that, that you actually act on that. And so this morning, here's a very simple. Same thing I asked men last week. Would you simply right now just raise your hand and say, Ryan, there's an area of this that I need to strengthen. I know the design. I know the calling God has on me to fear the Lord, to be wise, all these different things. But I'm struggling, struggling to fulfill this. Would you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the godly women in this church. Um, So many of these women are heroes to me. Their great faith, the way that they do walk in the fear of the Lord. I pray today that on this day that many women are honored, God, that, that, that as we acknowledge our weaknesses, as we come to you and we say we cannot do this on our own, that you would show yourself strong. I pray that you would encourage the women of First SF, especially these that have raised their hands saying, God, I need you. What an incredible, important thing to do. We are not strong on our own. We cannot fulfill our calling. We can't become a godly woman on our own. So I pray that you would just meet them right where they're at. Would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them in their calling? For those that are tired, for those that are enduring hard circumstances, trials right now, would you give them strength? To those who have a lot of joy right now, there's a lot of good things going on. Would you help them to remember that those things are from you and not to forget you in the midst 
of their good times. But as a whole church, Lord, men and women, I pray that we would come together for the cause of Christ. Would you prepare us, Lord, to use all the strengths that each one of us have for your glory and for the good of your church. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.